Hi guys, it's me Sanchi and after a long time, even though it's not been a long time, I am here with okay, today is a really special episode for two reasons. So the first reason is our guest is the renowned author Rin Chupeko who has written uh, about four series of speculative fiction and some of them and most of them have been really famous like of course everyone's heard about the bone witch and the girl from the well series and wicked as you wish like a hundred names for magic has just come out like in march 2020 with corona so yeah exciting and the second exciting part of this episode is we have with us not just me we have ashwini and polami say hi guys Welcome, Rin. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for inviting me. (laughs) We're really looking forward to this uh, episode. (laughs) So am I. So here's a question, and I have not framed this very well, but why are you an author? (laughs) I mean... Honestly, I don't think I could be anything else but an author. Like, I have been reading since I was um, around two or three years old because I was a very early reader. And I started really, really considering becoming an author by the time I was six or seven. And, you know, very Nancy Drew-inspired books, but... That was my. That was how I started being an author, and you know, when when books take up so much of your life, I it it feels like you know you you wanna give something back. I mean, so there, like I, I, I've never thought of. I've never had a backup plan. Like if I wasn't an author, what was I gonna be? I pretty much just threw myself in and I hope for the best and fortunately everything came out pretty good on my end. Indeed, indeed, yeah. (laughs) No, of course, I mean, your work is excellent. There was no way it wouldn't have come out well. Thank you. Six and seven was like pretty young to know what you want to do. I feel like right now I don't know what I want to do. So being aware of the fact that you wanted to be an author and pursued it, you know, Asian parents don't really approve of the careers that are not. I'd like to think that maybe maybe it's in my blood because my dad was a, a journalist and a sort of scriptwriter on the side, screenplay writer. And my um, my maternal grandpa was a poet and an essayist in China. Wow! And he actually like left China and came here to the Philippines to escape the Cultural Revolution because people didn't like his work. So, um, and then he he started all over again here. And I guess from coming from both sides of the family, like you know, a legacy of writing. That's where that's what I grew up surrounded by. So I guess, and you know, my my parents were very supportive of me being a writer because I've been I've been writing for as long as as long as they remember. So it's it's re- 
I, I'm very fortunate, I think, to be to have parents that support writing in particular. Because you know, you know that stereotype about Chinese families, like Chinese yeah. or Asian families, like no, it's lawyer or doctor or engineer. And they're <laughs> but they're like, oh, you know, wanna be a writer? Okay, cool. Like they they pretty much just said you must have a backup. Like take a a good cor- a good course in college but we will support you in your writing but you know in the the off chance that it doesn't pan out get like like make sure you get a good job despite that so you know i took up computer science in college but i never stopped writing and they never stopped supporting me so again it all worked out I'm kind of hoping for something similar in my case because, like you said, right? Asian parents, lawyer, doctor. So I am an engineer. <laughs> but yes, I also want to be a writer, and I've like written this one book of short stories. But you know, I'm not anywhere there where I can say that I am a writer. So, but you know, my parents, when I told them that I wanted to be a writer, my parents were like, "You're confusing your hobby with your career." So now I guess it's become one of those revenge things that you know, in spite of this, I will make it a career. So let's hope for the best. <laughs> well, um, I, I I am a, a programmer, like a computer programmer. Like my 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 main job before I took up writing was a QA analyst and a documentation specialist. So basically, I was um, writing those instruction manuals and those in-house documentation for telecommunication companies. That was my job. So. I, I like I like to joke by saying you know I my job consists of writing things that nobody really reads so it's really good experience to be a writer like looking for an agent because I am already well versed in have in writing stuff that nobody actually pays attention to like do people even read instruction manuals or <laughs> that was my job so. It was very good practice for me. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's very interesting <laughs> to know. So, do you think your education? I mean, like you said, you were a programmer. Do you think that somehow channeled how you write? Well, um, if I guess I could be honest right now because I'm not employed by them anymore. But it was a very boring life. A very boring. It was very boring and very. It, it took up a lot of my time because I found myself doing a lot of overtime, mm-hmm. and you know I didn't really have a lot of time to actually write. So in in the end, I I just said, you know what? Screw it. I'm gonna save enough so that when I quit, I can spend like a a year or two just focusing on writing and then if that doesn't pan out well maybe I'll look for another job so that was sort of the motivation I got like earning and saving as much as I could just for that chance to turn in my resignation and start writing solidly for like a year and a half and fortunately fortunately around that time I was I was able to get an agent so Uh, I, I mean, the girl from the well in particular was inspired by one experience I had while I was working. 
because um, I, I've mentioned it in a few interviews before, so I, I'm not sure if you guys know it yet. But um, when I was work, I worked in this building in the financial dis- district of Manila, and it's a really old building. It's like a like one of the oldest buildings in that city. Like everything's crumbling from the outside. It looks super old. The elevators creak. The lights flickered on and off. It's like a really good setting for a horror movie. And the thing was, I had to work overtime a lot of nights. And the floor above me had like this Japanese company. Where like, you know, like lots of Japanese salarymen who also worked overtime. And they were on on the floor above me. So we tend to go home at the same time. And, you know, so when they go down that clattering elevator and the, the doors open to my floor and I'm there and, you know, I am a pale, dark-haired Asian woman, Asian-looking woman. And, you know, my hair was super long back then and I I usually text a lot. So my I bend my head down while I'm waiting for the elevator because I'm texting and looking at the screen. So when they open the ele- when the elevator doors open and they see me standing there and I love wearing dark clothes, especially. So when they open the elevator door and they see me standing there, they start screaming. Like that was, and and I didn't know why they were screaming, so I start screaming. And, you know, we were screaming at each other for like five seconds before. He goes, oh, oh, good, you're not a ghost. And I'm like, oh, okay. You're, in, you're not screaming for no reason either. And it happened like on at least three occasions with three different salarymen, like three different Japanese people had that experience with me. So I had to go through three separate experiences of three Japanese guys screaming at me. And I guess the word spread upstairs and they got used to me eventually and they started calling me Sadako-chan. Um, Sadako, you know, from from the the creepy girl from The Ring, the really? Japanese girl from The Ring. Yeah, yeah. No! <laughs> so and that was sort of my inspiration for the girl from The Well. Basically, you know, a misunderstood ghost. Yeah. <laughs> from the well was a rather rather entertaining read because you know the ghost is from Japan the story is happening in the US and it had a really um, great background to it and well we were very curious as to like how do you come up with it and then you told us without asking so that was great no wait um, you know that that's another question that we want to know. Like, you have a lot of um, Asian-influenced characters, backgrounds, cultures, uh, world-building in all of your work. So, how does that come about for you? Like, you told well, us I, for all the well, you have like the Japanese influence because of this kind of an incident. What about, say, for the bone witch? Um, well, I, I speak. From with my background is basically I am a I am a mutt, so I've got like I'm I I'm Chinese Filipino, but my ethnicity is actually a, all over the place. Like I got I'm 
Chinese, Filipino, Thai, Malay, Spanish, Mongolian, and you know, so on. So that sort of influenced me as well. And you know, I, I live in the Philippines, and the Philippines is, is a very conservative Catholic country, but at the same time, I was raised with Buddhist culture. And you know all these like intersection of religion and culture sort of sort of decided where I you know I, I like I wanted to write that integration of culture into my works because that's how I experienced it. And when it came to things like the Bone Witch, the Bone Witch was actually my sort of depiction of a Philippines that was never. You know, a, a optimistic view of the Philippines that where they were never colonized, like they were never colonized by the Spaniards, they were never colonized by the, the Americans, and they were never occupied by the Japanese. So I was sort of thinking the progression of the Philippines at that, without those sort of colonization, would be influences from Middle Eastern culture. So that's where I went with, and um, when it came to things like the Asha, for example, um, the whole concept of the Bone Witch was actually based on this kind of Filipino witch called the Mangkukulam. And the Mangkukulam basically is a fixture in a lot of like Philippine pre-colonial society. And they, they they were, you know, they were the healers, but at the same time, they were also the, the people who you, you went to if you wanted to inflict curses on somebody else. So they had this dual sort of profession in society. And, you know, the way people in my books treated bone witches, like they feared them, but at the same time, they, they really needed them for help with a lot of aspects in, 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 the, in society. That was the same with Mangkukulans because people feared them, but at the same time, they acknowledged that, yeah, if I'm hurt or like I've got somebody, somebody's put a curse on me, I really need to go to you. Like, I have no choice. I might fear you, but I still need you. So that was that whole thing I wanted going with the Bone Witch. Like, that, that weird duality of being feared but at the same time being needed. So, like, you know, your latest book, Wicked As You Wish, which came out on, came out in March 2020. So, how has yes. COVID been for you, you know, as an author? Like, you have a book come out and then, oh, pandemic. Oh yeah, that that was very very hard because um, that was that was a really wild week for me, mainly because um, <laughs> um, like the last week of February was weird because I I was actually involved in briefly in like a shootout here, um, and it's not I mean. The Philippines don't usually have like these shootout things like what you hear in in America. So um, it's not a shootout where people were just randomly shooting at people. It was a shootout in that 
there was this employee who was really mad because he wasn't paid in a while and he didn't have enough money like for food and stuff and so he went to the the mall where he was formerly employed at and he held up <laughs> held up the managers there <laughs> and we we were sort, sort of caught in the crossfire and there were I mean we were able to get out very quickly but the that that thing dragged on for like another day before he was he finally like turned himself in and then two days after that the like the first major case of covid happened in that same mall so i had to self like self isolate and that was also when my book came out and at like a day or so after my book came out i think there was that whole general quarantine with the us as well because the us started getting all those like high profile covid covid cases like new york especially was getting hit up hit me really bad so um so my publisher was really quick they came to me and said well you, you know what this is not i don't think we're going to be able to do much with this so what we're going to do is we're going to sort of tone down the promotions and everything for this year and we're going to restart next year where we feel like things would be that that would be under under control and i guess they were hoping you know a change of presidency would help a lot and i guess it did so they said you know what we're going to target 2021 as the year where we're going to be start jump start the promotions and restart everything else so that's where we are right now actually um Wicked as we have a lot of things planned actually for Wicked as we wish, including a new cover for the paperback that's gonna come out. And unfortunately, the second book, which was supposed to be out this year, they've decided to kind of push it back until next year. Again, because of you know everything that's happened, and I, I think they had some cases there at at the publishing company company as well so you know that was a very wild two weeks of like unexpected news after unexpected news and of course there was that fear like i wasn't really concentrating much on the book because i was self isolating and i was very worried that i could have caught it because the cases that that was announced in that mall where i was um you know after and right after the shootout so everybody was gathered in one place and we were worried like oh my gosh all of us the possibility of, of that that whole area getting infected was was very uh, real real likely possibility and you know in last year we had covid covid in the family Uh, like fa- family friends that didn't make it so it was very rough for 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 my family and you know looking back i feel really fortunate that i didn't get the, i didn't get anything and 
my my publishers were so nice that they were willing to push with promotions do as much as they can to help promote the book in spite of everything happening so i still feel pretty lucky it's just that you know i didn't get a lot of i didn't get a lot of pr for the book for me like none of my books got pr last year so they're hoping everything just restarts this year and we're hoping for the best I'm hoping for the best too. I'm heartbroken. I was waiting for part two. Now I have to wait <laughs> yeah. more. I, I read uh, Big Reservation. Now I'm also waiting for part two. But I think I, I, I mean, I'm, since I just read it, I'm happy to wait for a while. Let the story sink in because it's it's quite heavy. You know? <laughs> so uh, what we did was I read Big Reservation. Olmi read. Uh, the first book of the Bone Witch trilogy, and Sanji has read all, almost all your works. <laughs> so, uh, we wanted to ask a few personal—I uh, mean, uh, personalized questions about your series. And so, we'll start with Sanji's uh, questions for Girl in the Well. Okay, so. Before starting, I'd like to tell everyone how I basically find the books that I read. So a lot of people will go on Goodreads and you know look for books like, but I've never been okay with going on Goodreads and just searching for things. So the first book of yours that I read was The Bone Witch, but then I came across The Girl from the Well much later because I go via genres, you know. So and I came across it after two years and. After reading it, I was so surprised because the themes and everything was very different. You know, same author but like really different and versatile writing. And in in the Girl from the Well, Okiko is such an enigmatic character. Like she's a ghost, and she's an Avenger for a lack of a better word. <laughs> and so like. as you told us in the beginning that you know you yourself were kind of like the inspiration for the uh, character so how did you chance upon this particular legend and how much of the world building was like how much of it is from japanese myth and how much of it is from you know what you put in yourself in the story oh well okay I I really really love horror stories. Like I I mentioned that I wanted to be a writer when I was six or seven years old, and the reason I wanted to be a writer when I was six and seven was because I was in love with Stephen King books. Like I was reading Stephen King books when I was six and seven years old, and I didn't necessarily understand everything, but I really really loved like that horror, that horror aesthetic, that horror at- atmosphere. So, I really loved ghost stories. Like that was what I usually collected. My favorite book as a kid was um, "Are You Afraid of Are You Afraid of the Dark?" and "Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark," which is that that cool book with all those grotesque illustrations and those creepy drawings. That was my absolute favorite book when I was growing up. Um, I. So you know, I was very immersed in a lot of legends and mythologies, and basically anything about ghost stories. And I got the 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 girl from the well. A lot of people like 
a lot of people usually think that hey it's based on the ring or it's based on the grudge because that's the one that they're most familiar with so they usually say that they usually think that that the girl from the well is inspired by the ring and in a, in a way it is but i was actually inspired by the legend that inspired the ring and the grudge as well it's called um the bancho sarayashi and or or the aka the legend like the legend of the nine fates so it's basically this girl who was tasked with guarding these expensive ten fates and a for for, uh, for like a, a lord of the castle and his retainer wanted her so he tried to get her into trouble because he was she was spurning his advances so he stole one of the plates and then he told the lord that hey she stole it so when she was confronted she proclaimed her innocence but nobody believed her because she was like just a servant girl and in the end um the retainer goes well i will protect you if you agree to my advances and she still says no and he got mad and he murdered her and threw her in the well but since it's a ghost story the following night she rises from the well as a ghost and she goes to that collection where the, the plates were supposed to be and she starts counting when she reaches the number nine and she realizes that one plate is missing because it's supposed to be ten plates she starts screaming and like generally making causing chaos and that happens every night so that's where the whole you know that's where the whole legend comes from a girl who climbed out of the well looking for a missing plate that she was accused of stealing in life and you know if if you since you've read the girl from the well that's why the number 9 is such an important number in that book and why she she goes bananas absolutely bananas when she hears the number 9 because that causes so much trauma for her so in that aspect i i try to follow the history the legend to the letter but you know i mean a lot of asian ghost stories especially japanese ghost stories they don't usually have a lot of agency these ghosts like female ghosts don't get a lot of agency at all and the stories don't usually end with any redemption or any avenging real avenging on their ends because you know the it's usually the the perpetrators who get away with it so i wanted to put my own subversion on that and say well what she did like what if she was successful what and you know after she was able to seek her revenge on the person who was responsible for her death why not take that a step further why not instill in her this vicious vicious sort of vengeance where she wants to do the same to every other murderer every other criminal that who, whose crimes are very close to what happened to her so I just sort of took that story and tried to make it more feminist in that I wanted the girl this time to have the agents. I wanted the girl to you know relish in being powerful for a change despite her history and despite what happened to her. So 
I mean, you know, when when you live in a place like the Philippines where there's a lot of violence and not a lot of justice, definitely not a lot of mercy, it's easy to think, you know, the idea of vigilantism is very appealing. That that notion that if justice can't be served through the legal ways, there should be some kind of, you know, some different, some other kind of justice where, where you know, you feel vindicated, where there's some kind of vindication involved where perpetrators get the punishment that they deserve. And, you know, coming from this kind of background, that's what I, I guess that's what sort of inspired me to turn a, turn something that most people would fear, like a, a vengeful ghost, like the way they portray Sadako in the ring and Kayako in the grudge, or Samara in like the American version of the ring, and put that, take that a step further and make her a sort of tragic figure, but also somebody that you can share somebody that you can support and you can understand why she's doing these things even though it's not necessarily you know what most people would consider the right thing to do but it is the right thing for her and you know I I like doing subversions I, I love subverting like set tropes and set legends and spinning it so that I can find there's there's more meaning to it so hopefully that's what I wanted to do with the girl from the well. And I hope that's what got across when I wrote, you know, when people read the book. It, it did actually. That's what surprised me a lot about this whole series was that, you know, the ghost is badass. And the ghost has so much agency and the ghost is, you know, kind of Batman, but not Batman. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 yeah, and, yeah, Ashwini. Sorry, I was just remarking that, you know, this justice system that you were talking about, that even if you don't get it and, um, you know, even if uh, the law does not help you, you still get justice. I think in India, we just call that karma. <laughs> and we, <laughs> we just hope it works out. Yeah, but the difference in this case yeah. is that, you know, she goes ahead and she just avenges everything and I, I really love the climax of the first book because you know no spoilers for the audience but because of the number nine <laughs> you know how they used that condition to like you know in the climax I, I don't want to say more it will become a spoiler <laughs> well thank you another another great theme that I've seen in this series is the one of family you know family bonds are emphasized upon like Tark's mother and then her relationship with her sister and Tark and his cousin so like is this something that comes from like your personal background about what you culturally have seen as a family because we, we these kind of bonds are not usually spoken about so much in a lot of other people's books and it's something we see in the bone witch as well right the devotion between siblings and family so is this something that you like to write about in all your books because it's there? I mean, I'm not sure about Never Tilting World, but everything else, yes. <laughs> well, the Never Tilting World actually has twin sisters. 
So yeah, the the spoilers. Are, there, there's without without saying any spoilers, like there are the the main characters are twin sisters, and it's part of the it's part of like the synopsis anyway. So I I, I think I it, it won't be spoilers if I say it. It's basically these twin girls who were separated by catastrophe. Their world was literally split into two, and they were into a permanent night and a permanent day. And they were split into opposite ends of the world. And the whole point of the book was them trying to find, like, trying to find a way to heal the world without knowing that the other one is still alive. So you know, and now that you mentioned it, yeah, like family is really important in most of my books, if not, I, I guess probably all of them. And maybe I think it's mainly inspired because. You know, my family isn't big. Like even our extended family isn't that big. But I have a lot of cousins, and we are all very, like, really, really close to each other to the point that I consider them siblings rather than cousins. So, you know, the the it's really something that I grew up with, and I think I was fortunate to have grown up with the support of family and and you know close friendship with cousins and that really helps when it comes to writing books with family because I can just base it on my my own experience like a lot of the the banter between Tark and Tally is very reminiscent of my banter with a lot of my cousins it, it has that same you know that same snappy comeback it has that same cadence that same you know sarcastic sarcastic uh, you know sarcastic jokes sarcastic uh, you know comeuppances but all in jest so I think you know when, when I write books about family in particular I my mind really just goes back to them and it makes it easier to write because it, I just think about the the time I spent with them, and you know that's all I need. It's easy to write. Happy New Year, by the way. <laughs> yeah, Happy yeah. Chinese New Year. Happy Chinese yeah, New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs> yeah, so coming, coming back sorry. to the yeah yeah go ahead. No, sorry, I was just going to say that we got a question on the live chat. Uh, Steph, Steph asks, uh, what or who are some of your creative inspirations for your work? When you say creative inspiration, is that like other authors that I look up to? I- I'm gonna assume that that's that's the case, right? I okay, think because I guess, it's Steph. Yeah. I think because it's Steph, it can also mean movies. So authors and movies and films, yeah. Anything in your childhood that you loved that inspired you to write like this or create a world this in a series? Uh, well, you know, I, I I'm I think I'm known for writing things like horror and fantasy, but not not a lot of people really think about the fact that I write a lot of comedy in those works as well. There's they're usually overshadowed by the horror and the fantasy, but I do like humor, like. As much as I can, I, lo- I love instilling a little bit of humor in my books. Like, 
I guess the personality of Clark in particular from the girl from the well that's very clear to see because it's just me talking sad basically that's that's Clark as well and um, you know if from humor I really love a lot of comedians and George Carlin and Conan O'Brien were my two favorites growing up Conan O'Brien was basically my babysitter because you know when my parents are asleep I, I'd sneak out and open the TV and then there's late night with Conan O'Brien and I just watch that <laughs> so yeah, he really inspired my humor especially that the sort of self-deprecation that he loves to, to use in his comedy routine so that's that's one and um, I mean now that we, now that you stay now that you stay it um, I have there was this one author that I super looked up to and I also credit him as being one of the biggest reasons why I am an author today because he's a really popular author I love his work and you know out of the blue he just announced hey I am going to sponsor a writing contest here in the in, in the Philippines I'm gonna give a really big cash prize because I want you all to like show off your best work and I want to read it so I did like this is this was considering I've never really I mean I say I love to write but I've until that point I've never actually finished the book like I've written so many chapters and everything but I, for some reason I never seem able to finish a book and when that contest came I wrote my first ever short story first ever completed short story and I submitted that and I was one of the winners oh. Happened. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And one of the prizes, other than the cash prize, was a dinner with him. So, you know, it, it was a chance for me to like pick his brain and stuff. So I so we go to the dinner and I'm telling him, you know, in the Philippines, writing is not actually a lucrative business. Like even journalists need side jobs. Because writing alone can't give them what they need to pay their daily expenses in the Philippines because writing doesn't feel like you know people don't really seem to think that writing is that important here especially writing fiction and I tell him all this and then he looks me in the eye and he goes you know what that's bollocks you are a writer so you shall you you will write and I really took that to heart like there's here's this really super popular author and I only have one short story to my name and he has this unwavering belief in me so that was the day I said you know what I'm gonna quit my job eventually I'm gonna save enough to quit my job and then I'm gonna really focus on this writing thing and see if I I can get something out of it and I did so you know thank you Neil Gaiman because Neil Gaiman was the one who wanted wow. that, and yeah, I have so many pictures of me hugging him, and it, I, I was so fangirly giddy. So <laughs> fangirl, fan, fanboyishly giddy. <laughs> that's very. Uh, that's normal. It's normal. I mean, you know, that that kind of popular author having faith. In, in it, it's inspiring and it's humbling, right? 
Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and I was thinking, you know what? Let's not. I, I don't want to let him down. If he thinks I'm good enough, then I should think I'm good enough too. And that's so. That's what I did. Well, that's a big life lesson right there. It was a life-changing experience for me. I think that's yeah. where I got the confidence to like really push through with it. Mm-hmm. I'm so, like the one. She's a poet, so she came to my area and took like all her poetry books, and we couldn't say a word. <laughs> like I like your work. I like your like thanks. <laughs> like crazy. Just shut up, because. Get a freak out when you're looking at someone who's work you really love, and you're just like, "What do I say?" <laughs> yeah, coming coming back to the girl in the well because I still have like one very interesting <laughs> question left, and that is a very simple one: Are we going to see Okiko again ever in your writing? Oh, <laughs> oh, um, well, you know, that is really dependent on my publisher, so. I mean, it's not like I can go to a different publisher and say, "Well, here's a book that I've written from a different publisher that I'd like you to publish." And you know, I, I've got a bit of book cred now, but that's not gonna fly <laughs> either. So, um, as of now, there isn't really any plans for a third book. But that that being said, I am I am not. Turning down any opportunity, if such would arise, to write more books about Tark and Oki. I have hope in life. Never say never, right? <laughs> so now that we have done girl from the well, it's time for the bone witch. <laughs> Up to you, follow me. Oh come on, I won't need it. You should come and do. I mean, yeah, I mean, sure. You ask, I ask. I have a lot of weird questions about the book, which, but yeah. 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 <laughs> so usually, whenever I read books, first thing if I see a map, I freak out because that means that's a lot of planning that has gone into it. Because I think last when I went crazy over a map was Narnia and Tolkien's. <laughs> Lord of the Rings. You know, when you see such a world come together, you know it's serious business. The authors put a lot of thought behind each and every area. How people are segregated into villages and palaces. So, how does it work for you? How do you build that map? How does it work? The series of Bone, which is completely different than your first series. So, how did it come together? Uh, well, uh. You, you, you know what? That's something I actually can't really put very well into words when it comes to explaining how I actually came up with the map and with the world building. Because um, the the weird thing about me is that I can do a lot of it in my head. Like I can I can plot everything in my head. I don't need I don't always need to write everything down, and it it makes much more sense in my head. Actually, for for me, than writing things down because when I write things down, there's there's a sort of limitation to the paper, where you can't really mind map the whole thing at 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 a glance. But I could do it 
very easily in my head. Like there's like a weird filing cabinet in my head, and you know, if I want a certain kind, a certain, I want like a certain set of information, I can just reach into one drawer and pull it out. And you can't really do that when when the words are, you know, when when you're you're planning everything out everything out on paper. So like the best like the best description I could give when it comes to things like that is I start very very basic like you know I think about how many kingdoms are here okay fine eight kingdoms then I go through each one of them like what are what's their geography what's their history what is their history in connection with the other kingdoms are are they are they friendly with their neighbors? Are they enemies with their neighbors? What is their religion? What is their philosophies? What's their culture? Do the cultures, and then from there I start, you know, taking taking a step back, see like the macro version of it, which is basically do the cultures influence each other? Like do kingdoms influence each other? What is their overall, like what is their overall objective? Does one kingdom want war? Does one kingdom just want trade? Does one kingdom just want to be left alone? So, you know, it it gradually builds in my head. I don't really have to put much down on paper. I just let it percolate in my head for maybe a month. Like every day, I think a little bit more about it. And once I've got certain ideas set in stone, I just file it away. Until, you know, a month later, I look back and there's that whole place mapped out in my head so I'm not sure why I, why I'm like this it, it's just you know it's something that comes to me easily and I think and I do think that it is an advantage because it's easy to you know when, when you carry all that information in your head and you find it easy to carry all that information it's easy to write them down once you're finally starting to go into those chapters because your reference point well, you know if I want to write about Odalia for example which is one of the kingdoms in the Bone Witch I just think about it and focus on all the information that I already settled on regarding Odalia then I you know I just think about it then I write it down so I'm I would suck so much when it comes to actually teaching that those aspects of world building because I understand that not a lot of people do that in that way. This is good. So, this is good. <laughs> this is good. I think it's a, a more of a top bottom sort of approach, right? You start mm-hmm. with the main things you have in mind and then you keep going down yeah, yeah. the time yeah. you read. Yeah. I have like three follow-up questions to this now. <laughs> the fantasy worlds, unlike our real, real world, don't have timelines, right? So if mm-hmm. I have a world set in 1920s, I have to adhere to the clothing in 1920s or how it would look forward, coming forward. Like, So how do you decide on your characters or the people's clothing? Yeah accents maybe or the way the jewelry is done or yeah that's one and another would be like since we're all such fantasy kids we have all followed jk rowling for a while so she has a habit of explaining how she 
makes names or words or you know curses right so the names in your books are really interesting too so how do you come up with the names because asha for us in hindi means hope right so we try to connect it with language so how does it match with you for culture your background and the timelines everything from the <laughs> a very wide question well my my version of asha means true and um when it came to the bone witch in particular it was very heavily inspired by zoroastrianism and you know like as i mentioned mythology is a really it's a it, it's one of my favorite things to read about mythology so i i why i'm very fascinated by the whole religion and philosophy that surrounds astrozoroastrianism and the deva actually was also based on those aspects like there are eight sort of creatures that that's that's evil that the light must triumph against and i thought it would be a nice subversion for somebody who would be considered evil in their society to be the one able to control that evil for good so you know mm, i when when it comes to world building i try to focus on the culture that i am already familiar with and then try my best to come up with different versions of that culture so that each version just looks really different from each other and you know when when like like i said when you're when you have that background that i do like coming from a lot of different ethnicities and different cultures it's easy to sort of look through those and and find the one that resonates the most with you and then try to adapt and integrate it into the culture you're trying to build so i mean if if there's any writers here who would be curious as to how i would world build i i do recommend like going with the things that you you do know there there is a reason why that writing like that writing advice write what you know is particularly beneficial because writing what you know requires not doesn't require as much research since you already come into it knowing what your what, what the intentions of that culture or that philosophy or that religion you're, you you want to write about and i think that the the challenge when it comes to writing what you know is trying to turn it into different make it so varied so that you're writing that same culture but you're writing it with a different spin you're writing it with different a different subversion so that none of that none of those versions that you're writing actually sounds the same like none of them looks the same when you put them together So I could write Filipino culture in so many different ways and when I put it down in different book series they don't look alike at all but aspects of it are similar like in Filipino culture as as mentioned already before it's really family oriented so I guess that's also the reason why a lot of my books are family oriented because that comes from my culture but when I write them down in 
different series they feel different and they look different and it it's because I am so well versed in that culture that I can take I, I, I understand the different aspects of that of those those cultures and those philosophies and make sure that you know I focus on <laughs> it's a bit hard to explain but Like for example, with the girl from the well, it's about cousins, family with cousins. But with Wicked as you wish, wish it's about found family. It's not necessarily there. There is a lot of love between my my main characters and their biological families, but there is a lot of love with them and their friends, who eventually becomes family. So, you know it. It's similar to that, it, you know, taking something like family and learning and being able to focus on different aspects of what family is, I think, is something that every writer should know. Like when you, if you're, if you you're good at something or if you're knowledgeable at about something, it, it's always, it's always. Like a, a huge advantage if you can sort of isolate the aspects of that knowledge and learn how to diffuse, to like diffuse it into diff, into different like spectrums, so that you can you're able to write them differently each time. I mean that's the closest I could I can make to trying to explain that. It's. So much easier when it's in my head <laughs> than explaining it. Yeah, but I, I think I got it. I, I think I got it somewhere. And you know, <laughs> I, now the word deva actually makes a lot of sense to me because um, the moment you said Zoroastrianism, right? Like it, it just made sense to me because uh, it, it's related a little to Sanskrit and a little to Indian culture in that that there is a literal subversion, right? So like uh, in 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 Iranian culture, old Iran, then uh, the devas were the evil ones and the asuras were the light, right? It's it's yes. the opposite in Indian cultures. The asuras are the this, and the dev is God. So, oh, <laughs> yeah, that's interesting because you know it's it it's, uh, it comes from like Proto-Indo-European and it trickles down from there. So you know that's how the word has split, and it uh, lots of weird things. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that that's awesome to know. Yeah, so like the first time when I read the book, I was like, "Oh, the dev is evil," <laughs> and now it makes sense. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So more on this, you know, I expected it to be really dark since the first thing I read was necromancy, and I was like, okay, she's gonna bring everyone back to life, and it's gonna be. Uh, <laughs> like a walking dead sort of scene but you still managed to make it pretty kid friendly it's still really nice i mean there are really nice quotes which i actually underlined one i really liked ah okay if there is one thing people desire more than a good story it is when they speak their own I always <laughs> had this situation with my friends where we were like, "You're the good person in your own story, but for them, you're the villain in their story." 
or you're the supporting character, side character in the story. And you know, even if like you're you're friends with somebody, when you tell the same story based on on the same like. If if both of you tell the same story, it's gonna be different because you're gonna have different experiences. So that's yeah. sort of what the quote means. Like you you can't nobody else can tell your story but you. Yeah, I mean there are a lot of quotes in the book that actually makes me feel like connected to real life more than the fantasy world. And I wanted to ask like. I think last I saw was you know in Hercules the live action movie the strings <laughs> attached to them so it's like a physical appearance that you know they're connected for souls for life in a way that you've put the hard glass as a physical yeah. proof of people's emotions so they don't have the privacy of how they feel because Asha can figure out what they're feeling at that moment so. What made you bring that particular trait out as the main, main thing in the book of the Bone Witch? <laughs> um, well, you see, that again comes from you know my my culture. As I met, as I mentioned before, I mostly identify as Chinese Filipino, and in you know, if you're familiar with like Filipino families and Filipino households, you will know very early on that we do not have privacy. Like we we meddle in each other out of concern for each other. Like not not because you know, I mean partly because we're inquisitive, but also partly because we want to make sure that people are doing all right. Like our loved ones, our our families doing okay. So they act and they meddle and they make sure that you're eating well and everything. You know, everything that comes with that. That uh, a Filipino family, and going and w- going into that is also my like aspects of my Chinese culture because in Chinese culture there is this 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 concept called the red string of fate, and with this red string of fate, it's it's more like well, according to that 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 sort of mythology that surrounds the red string of fate, your soulmate. Or the one that you love will be known to you because there's an invisible string tied to your finger, and yeah. your your soulmate will have an uh, uh, invisible string tied to their finger connecting the both of you, and that ties in very closely with um, the con- like concepts of fate and destiny. So I drew on those two in particular, like you know, lovable Filipino family, and then. Bed string, bed string of faith to sort of incorporate that into the heart sharing, in the the heart sharing groups where, in the in the book for everybody else who doesn't who hasn't read the book yet, heart share rooms are the, these sort of magic spells where somebody can cast it on somebody else and they can they can feel each other's emotions, they can feel each other's thoughts to a certain extent, and you know give strength to the other person if the other person is injured or weak so it it's sort of again my experiences with being filipino where you know if filipino families really love to support each other even though they're nosy and and meddling and, and 
meddling and in the book that's also one of the problems that come up like just because you we've shared we've shared these these we've shared hearts doesn't necessarily mean that I want everything about myself to be known to, known to you and in to a certain extent that is also the bond between my main character Kea and her brother Fox because when she raises him from the dead she acquires his thoughts as well and he acquires hers so it's it it's been a cause of it's been a cause for friction so basically Kea and her brother Fox has that bond where they can meet each other's thoughts and and feel each other's feelings and that is that causes friction throughout the book like at first they're thrilled that hey I can I know what you're thinking but later on when they start living their own like separate lives they find out that it's very annoying and very frustrating to have your brother in your head when like for example you're making out with your girlfriend or your boyfriend and they're right there able to feel or sense everything that you're doing <laughs> and you know it, it there, there's cause for embarrassment but later on the problems get a lot more serious than that where you know it, it comes to the point where it tears them apart so it, it really I, I really wanted to I really wanted to emphasize that family isn't always about sharing the good the good times it's weathering through the bad times as well and even though you might not always be happy with them like you can get mad, you, you might be mad at them or you, you, you have, you'll have problems with them it's the it's your bond with them that makes you both stronger whether or not you want it to so that was that's the whole concept that that heart sharing like if 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 you want to be family if you want to be you know if you want to share things with your loved one you have to take the good with the bad Tia's journey is quite tough right she's like a kid a teenager who learns to stay on her own there was another quote i think when people cut us we are expected to do only two things smile and bleed <laughs> that's most one of the most famous ones i think from the book why does it sound so sad and don't happen <laughs> well i i think with when it comes to daya like she at first she's really curious and very interested in knowing the world beyond her village and to do that she has to be a bone witch and that means stepping into unfamiliar territory with her and she wants to be more than just a girl in her village but at the same time she resents the fact that though she gives a, so much of her abilities to the people in in you know in the kingdoms there's still that that alienation that they give her like you're you know you can help us but you're still not good enough that sort of that 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 constant that that constant statement that she feels like she gets from the people especially with 
her superiors, especially with you know the pe- the the people in the other Asha who are supposed to be supporting her, but do not because they look at her mainly as a weapon that will eventually you know when the, that will eventually use up her strength and die. So she's basically pushing back against that narrative and trying to forge her own destiny. And she realizes very early on that it's going to take a lot of blood and it's going to take a lot of tears as it eventually does happen. And so, you know, that quote, I think, really, really sums up what, what, how she feels being an Asha is. And it also leads to her sort of determination to go past what they're expecting of her, which is to keep controlling these these monsters, these deva, until the day she dies, and to make more out of her life than what they want her to, and be, you know, be somebody that she wants to be instead of what they expect her to be. So that that sort of encompasses that quote sort of encompasses her whole being. Her whole perception of being a Nasha. Like you said, the series has a really wonderful message that I haven't seen very often in fiction. That is that you know, all can't be free if some are in chains. You know, I, I thought that was wonderful, really. And and the other other side of it also, you know, that the end does not justify the means. Hmm. I'm talking about baseless. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you can't say much without giving spoilers, right? It's just like you're walking on a tightrope, trying to. When, when you start writing, you realize how hard it is to make such strong statements in one line. Like, it's really tough. I mean, I'm, I'm imagining her going over that same line over and over again to make him have all that emotion. <laughs> it's quite difficult. That's off to you. Well, I, I, I mean, I do want to say like when Shadow Glass came out, the, the, the last book in the trilogy, the Shadow Glass, it, when it came out, that for like two months after that, I was inundated with so many emails and so many like DMs in my Twitter account of people yelling at me. How could you? Like, I loved the ending. I loved it. <laughs> she was crazy. <laughs> I was I was really shocked because I wasn't actually I I didn't really think much about the ending when I was writing it and I figured it you know it it just felt right it felt like this was a fitting ending but I wasn't expecting this much like people screaming at me how could you and also what happened and also you know like tell me more I, I can't really say I can't be too specific about it without it being spoilerish. I haven't read it. Yes. <laughs> like I haven't read it, but I went through the reviews on Goodreads, and I I can only see people screaming the ending. I think the ending. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I personally like you said that um, it felt right, and it did feel right, right? Like. When you read the book, it's really coherent, and you can kind of understand where uh, Tia is coming from and why she's doing what she's doing. Yeah, it's just that people have this notion, you know, of what a happy ending should look like. I mean, in the circumstances, I could say that that was the happiest ending they could achieve to. And also, I know there is like an open thread at the end of the book. 
you know yes yes it is so i'm with your voice daughters with my eyes yes i know <laughs> well and I, when i before i even finished writing the first book i already i already knew how to end it like that was the ending in my mind when i was i wasn't even done with the first book yet and you know in in the first book i i already had to deal with like a lesser amount of people but still a lot of people yelling at me about the ending of the first like really really oh my gosh again i can't really say i can't really be specific cuz spoilers but no please don't i i want to read <laughs> but that like that the the trilogy like the final ending of the trilogy i was really shocked like so many people reacted so strongly to it and not you know when when i say that they yell at me it's not angry yell it's more like emotional yell yeah. it's not like they're necessarily mad at me they they just want to vent <laughs> and i was the most likely person to vent that and then i really appreciated actually like it getting that that much reaction just means i did it right And the ending seemed like it was, you know, built up to, you know, like it was actually thought about, and you know, and it shows. So when you said you knew at the end of book one, I'm like, oh yes, built up to. And if this series has, okay, so I'm not a person who really likes romance in anything, not even as a genre. But I feel that the romances in this book were done really very well. Like, you. you know, Tia and I won't say who, and Fox and I won't say who. <laughs> <laughs> and you. another cool thing in the book series was the LGBTQ representation. You know, hmm. Zoya, Lick, Lick was um, actually based on a friend. Oh. Uh, she is, she is, she is. I mean, you know, in the Philippines, it's very hard to come out. Like, basically, it's easy to come out. on like on its own like just just coming out is fine but when it comes to you know having laws that actually enforce that protections we don't have that like we don't even have divorce laws here in the philippines we are the only country in the world that do not have divorce laws you know vatican <laughs> italy has divorce laws we don't that is how conservative we are so you know lgbtq is not they to a certain extent they're welcome only if it does not disrupt the status quo that's that, that's that sort of welcome that that happens here and you know i i i am non-binary and people here don't even know what non-binary is like they ask me if it's a computer program or something and it it is rough because you know every person you have to explain things to like you don't you don't feel you don't you don't you're not confined by the laws of like of like gender laws that are the status quo especially here again because we are a conservative catholic country so it's extremely brave i think for people to choose to come out although in the philippines in the philippines coming out is not actually a thing for most people you just be 
like we don't really look at labels we just you know if you if you're gay you don't have to tell people you're gay you're just gay that's that's the sort of that's the sort of mindset we have here and i i did i did tell her like her, her name was Le- her, her name's lisa so i tried to sort of fit like as i'm trying to make like a fantasy version of your name and uh in in, in tagalog in tagalog there's this word called likha and it, it it's a very pretty word it's sort of like this it, it it's hard to translate but it built this sort of wistfulness that sense of wistfulness and 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 and, and sort of beauty and i wanted to take it and sort of twist it so that it's it's a different name all on its own and also based it on my friend lisa so that's that's where i came up with with lick it's l you know l i k h that's 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 her name and lika is spelled l i k h a so you know most filipinos who read the book once they see that name they're like oh i know what this means so that that sort of easter egg that i've hidden for for other filipinos to find and that that thing that hey she's 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 a filipina trans girl that's that hidden sort of thing that I put in. And I'm very glad cuz a lot of Filipinos do email me and say, "Hey, I know this I know this word. I know this name." <laughs> oh, that was the bone which anything else we say will be spoilers. <laughs> so, now it's the turn for wicked as you wish. Go for it, Ashwin. Yeah, I personally had a lot of fun reading Wicked as you wish. and generally i'm not the sort of person who would go for young adult fantasies um but i genuinely enjoyed it and one thing i actually liked about it at least to where i read was that the romance was never explicit which made me personally very happy because i'm the sort of person who will close my eyes when there's a kissing scene on tv so <laughs> Uh, that is very nice but coming back to my questions i i feel like you were giving some hints in the book and i might be completely wrong please correct me for example is king models donald trump <laughs> i i wasn't giving a hint i was being very very yes <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> like my whole thing cuz you know I I was Wicked as you wish was actually the first book I ever completed. I wrote this way before The Girl from the Well. But Ooh. the 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 thing was you know um a lot of the agents who liked that book when I was looking for an agent a lot of the agents who liked that book emailed me back and goes well I I really really like this but can you make the main character white and I am like no <laughs> I actually like you know, I was desperate enough that I was considering it actually at that point because I I really really wanted to be published but at the end I decided you know what I am I'm going to shelve this and wait for a time where it is more feasible for me to bring it out again and 
and chop it around. So I shelved that and I started working on The Girl from the Well. And that was the first book that I sold. Um, with Wicked As You Wish, though, um, <laughs> yeah, that was when I wrote that I was really, really young. Like, that was, I, I think you can tell from the the humor in that book that is a lot more prominent when compared to the, uh, the other later yeah. books that I and it's it's really raspy it's very dry I really enjoyed it a lot <laughs> I, I cannot get it out of my mind you know that um, uh, the main character's father in a Scottish accent telling the fire but you are an absolute unit <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that itself added the Scottish accent also added a bit of humor, you know, to it. <laughs> Because in my mind, I was actually reading it as a Scottish accent. So <laughs> that was fun. Oh, I'm glad because I was worried. I was worried about like not getting like, spelling and, and context right. I, I had, I had, I. do have a Scottish friend and I I had him read through it just to make sure like is this good enough is this like I don't want to over overwrite it as a Scottish bro but I wanted to like add make, make sure that people are aware that he is talking like, with a Scottish bro and I said yeah yeah this is this is right but you need to swear some more he's <laughs> like he needs more <laughs> and I'm like I, I there's there's only so much I can I can you know curse when it's a young adult book so <laughs> now you you had me when uh, Kay opened a can of beer at 7 a.m. in the morning you had me there. <laughs> <laughs> well, well that no that was that that scene was actually he was actually he didn't like that like that scene because he Nobody drinks from a can. He said, "Take it from the tap." <laughs> <laughs> That was the objection. Uh, not the seven a.m. <laughs> like, this is not happening in their house. <laughs> yeah. So coming back to King Muddles, I was actually wondering, you know, how much of, um, I mean, this is a difficult question to ask. answer I realize uh, how much of reality and fiction do you tend to mix because uh, I felt like maybe um, right in the beginning when I started reading I felt like Beira was probably you know Russia or the Soviet Union and Avalon which is obviously a, a mystical island but I also thought it could have been Japan you know because they had all that spell tech and all of that so um, well Um, with with Bera in particular, Bera is the the kingdom of the Snow Queen, who is the main villainess in that in, in the story. And I didn't really think of any particular country, like real world country, when I was writing about Bera, because I was actually basing it primarily on the Snow Queen's the Snow Queen story. So that that vast like ice cape that's written in the story, that's basically what I. Just focused on, but for the most part, like every a lot of things in 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 Wicked as You Wish is has a lot of like real life counterparts. Because I was revising this, like when when I was finally given the ghost, like when 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 an editor actually said she wanted this book, and I was revising it for her. 
That was, you know, during the 2016 election in, in, in the United States. And I was oh. so, so pissed off because the, that guy wouldn't shut his mouth mouth up. Like, like, like every news was about him ranting his ass off. And I was so annoyed. Like, I was in a way doing some petty revenge by writing him into it. <laughs> Yeah, and I can see it. I can see it in the writing, you know, because you do mention the detention centers. You do mention the the inherent racism in America, which is, I mean, obviously it's reality. For example, um, you know, Tala says at one point when she has to go um, interact with her classmates, she says, "I'm pretty sure half of them still think I'm Mexican," and you know. When Kay says, I don't have any proper p- paperwork, but it's all right because I'm white. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, the the surprising thing about it is that my original book, the I finished writing this, the, the first ever draft of this book in like 2009-2009. And the immigration was already in place there. Like, I didn't, I didn't actually focus on the topic of immigration because of the the things that happened in 2016 it was already there because <clears throat> a lot the, like one of the number one issues in the philippines is immigration and particularly us immigration we've been we've been having a lot of problems with with the their department of immigration with ice agents long before trump came into the picture so you know Part the revisions in my book was just to tweak it to reference the current situation in the in the United States, which was you know getting locked in the border. But this is not this is a very familiar issue with the Philippines long long before. Like I've had family who's who's been affected by this. I've had family who'd been you know who'd gotten in trouble because of this, and that was sort of the experience that I was relying on when I was writing it because immigration you know when when you read the book you think it's a these are a lot of American issues but underneath that is that layer where these are also Filipino issues like immigration is a huge Filipino issue for us like if you look at almost every country in the world you'll see that the highest number of immigrants in that country is usually are usually Filipinos as well because we have we don't have a lot of opportunities here in the country where we're forced to go abroad and you know go through that whole culture shock that all that adjust adjusting trying to earn enough money to send back home and you know when I wrote that book, I intended it to be a Filipino book, and it's I f- I feel that it's a very Filipino book just for that whole concept of immigration and that you know feeling like you don't actually belong because people look at you differently, and you know there's a lot of there's a lot of like very Filipino tropes that I added into that where you know her mom Tala's mom is a nurse and. Filipinos, like you know, your Filipinos are known for those like nurse being nurses and caregivers. Mm-hmm. 
all women that that caregiving capacity and there's that trope as well that you know younger filipina woman and older white guy getting married there's it's very it's that thing here in the philippines and i wanted to subvert those as well like wanted to show that the sort of a healthier relationship first of all between those that that kind of couple and also like that idea where so many filipino women take on the burden of their partners mm-hmm. as you like when with the wish it as it turns out Kay has a lot of issues and a lot of problems and she's and and Tala's mom just sort of weathers through it because you know this is something very common with Filipino women like they it, it's very common for them to be very practical about who they marry yeah yeah, yeah I, I do see a lot of uh, similarities between uh, Indian and Filipino culture <laughs> yeah you know you mentioned the Uh, people just uh, no privacy such an indian thing <laughs> asian thing i think yeah yeah i think so um and yeah so since i'm a science student of course i will ask this question uh, <laughs> i felt like there was this non trivial intersection between science and magic so do you think There's a fine line between it, or do you think that magic could also be science, or science could be magic? That that's a popular um, that's a popular philosophy in in sci-fi and fantasy book, like the sci-fi fantasy genre in particular. That's a very common sort of trope that people adopt, which is basically magic is just something that science doesn't. Science hasn't caught up to yet, or or magic is just—it's it, basically science is just magic for more primitive people. That that like that—that's the whole concept. If you gain enough technology, you—it's it, basically magic. It works the same thing as magic. So that's the sort of concept that I took as well and integrated into the work. Because um, Wicked as You Wish is basically a what if, like a, an alternate history where fairy tales are an actual part of history. So it, it it with with that sort of concept comes with that that question of how do you integrate the technology that we already know in the real world with with something like magic? How do you sort of mesh those two? How do you combine those two together? So. My take was basically that 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 same thing that magic is just super advanced science, and once you've you've mastered that, it it's you know it, it's like you're performing miracles as well. So the, I think the biggest challenge for me while I was doing that world building was trying to integrate all all fairy tales into that one universe. So yeah, this was like yeah. my This is like my Marvel universe, I guess, where, <laughs> where in my head all the fairy tales are in one timeline, in one universe. Like all the Asian mythologies and all the Western, like Western fairy tales, are set in one universe, and that was what makes made it hard because trying to 
um, trying to make it where Chinese, the Chinese mythology exists in the same plane as you know, like things like Sleeping Beauty or or or, or um, Cinderella. It that was the one that took up most of my time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, no, I I think it was a really beautiful concept because in general there's always a rift between science and magic. You know, like scientists scoffing at magic or magicians saying, oh, "This is nonsense. We are way more powerful than this." So it was lovely to see an integration of the two and collaborative spirit in between the two, if I may say so. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just, uh, I mean, I really liked your, like you said, you know, you had Snow White, you had Red Riding Hood. One thing I wanted to mention to you was, I really liked your name for one of the podcasts you mentioned, A Brief History of Weird Things. And I think we should also <laughs> change our name to something like that now. <laughs> um, and yeah, speaking of magic, I felt like... At some points, magic was kind of a symbol or a synonym for something else. For example, you spoke about having um, different kinds of magic or class one, class two, class three magic, and uh, you know, bands on magic. And so I felt like there's so many different things in the world that this could mean. It could be gay rights, it could be drugs, it could be anything, you know? So did you have anything like that in mind? Well, well, you know the the whole my whole inspiration for this particular magic in Wicked as You Wish is actually inspired by this. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys have watched it, but I'm a huge anime fan, and there's this anime series called Full Metal Alchemist that sort of deals with this law of equivalent exchange, where in order to produce their version of magic, you have to give up the same amount of magic. So, you know, if you want to bring somebody back from the dead, you're gonna have to give up even your life for it to make that happen. So, that's the the concept that I I try to apply in my work as well. Where, like, for example, you can get fire powers, but you can be so affected by the the ice from a refrigerator like the the cold coming from a refrigerator so to to the extent where you could freeze to death in front of a refrigerator despite having your fire like like awesome fire powers that was yeah. one of the the examples that I gave in in the book yeah so i wanted to highlight less of the magic and more of the sacrifice cuz as the series goes on that's what a lot of the focus is going to be when it comes to the characters, what they're willing to sacrifice in order to get what they want. And, you know, uh, I didn't really dwell too much on, on like, drugs and, and, <laughs> and things like that beyond saying that there is a black market, like, there's a black market for, for things like that. Um, I did wanted to emphasize that America as it the royal states of America which is how it which is a kingdom in in Wicked as you wish bans certain levels of magic simply because they don't want you know they don't want their citizens getting 
hurt by it, but mainly because they want to control it. And their whole like their whole friction with with Alex, who is the Prince of Avalon, who is fighting against the Snow Queen. The whole point of them not liking Avalon is because they want their magic patents. Like they want their spell tech and Avalon refuses to give it to them. And that's the thing that they want in order to get to gain more power, especially under a conservative king like Trump. And then you have uh, Tesla. Oops, sorry, I meant Ozra Corp. <laughs> There's actually one specific billionaire that I want to name, but I am afraid that his his fans is gonna flood your podcast. Because you know, so I, I'm not I'm not gonna say it. It's alright. It's like a, it's like it's like Voldemort say his name. They're gonna flood. <laughs> so um, Oscar is gonna play a really important role in the second book. Like when you get down to the basics, this book is very anti-capitalism, mm. <laughs> and you know the second book is gonna deal with Alex trying to navigate his way around being a king and what that entails, and if he wants equality and if he wants you know equality among his citizens, he wants more equity, more like fairness. He has to start thinking about his own status as a royal person in order to accomplish that and all the hypocrisies that can come from being king. So that is the sort of shift in that that's the that's a thing that's a theme that I want more emphasis on when it comes to the second book because I am very intent on making this an anti-capitalism book. Because that is, you know, trying to figure out how to make things equal and fair for everybody. I think it's an especially important and an especially volatile issue that's happening right now. And I feel that this is my take on it. Like this is what we should be in order to accomplish things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I ship it. I'm uh, waiting <laughs> for it. Yeah, I, uh, hopefully very early. I think early next year. The festival is going to happen early next year. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> so that brings us to the end of our book-related questions. And now is my favorite section of all times. It's the stupid question section. Okay, before we start, I think we should have a rule, right? Like one person asks, then one person, then one person. Otherwise, Ashwini, I know you will ask all your questions. I have like a list of 14 <laughs> questions already. <laughs> so, do you want to go first, Sanchi? No, I think I'll let you go first this time. Because mainly because of your first question. Your first question is hilarious. So go ahead with it. Oh no. (laughs) Okay, well, my first question isn't actually a question. It's just an observation. Uh, So when I I heard of your name for the first time, uh, Rin Chupeko, it actually reminded me of soap because there's this detergent brand in India called Rin. (laughs) 
and I just can't take that out of my head. I'm really sorry. Oh, no. is, it, is, it an, is it a brand in India? Yeah. Yes. Oh no. I think I think I have. Do you want to see? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I'll show it. Wait, I'll show it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> No, it's a lovely name. I, I love it. I just, I'm sorry. I couldn't stop myself. I had to tell you. It's a staple in India. Everyone knows it. Well, I, I like it. I'm, at least my name is a popular brand over there. Very popular. <laughs> That's something. <laughs> um, yeah. And again, another thing I really loved about your books. I actually started reading the Bone Witch trilogy, the first book. And I love that you have a dedication to Raman. <laughs> there in the entire series. My heart right there on the first page. I was ready to cry. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, you'd be glad to know that I dedicated all three books to Raman. Yes. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I saw. <laughs> The, the first book is for ramen the second book is for the creator of ramen and the third book is for the people of japan for popularizing ramen. <laughs> yes thank you people of japan you have my eternal gratitude for that and ghibli movies definitely <laughs> okay okay my turn for stupid question so, so if you were an Asha, what kind of an Asha would you be, and what would your hua look like? Oh no, um, I would. I mean, the goal is to be like just just the regular Asha, not the bone witch Asha. And but you know, I would I would suck so much as as an Asha. Like I can't dance, I can't sing. I am not very good at musical instruments. I am not good at etiquette and, you know, like entertaining people because I am more likely to like annoy them or antagonize them. Like don't ask me to serve somebody else. I am if they're if they're if they're horrible people, I'm going to dump the tea all over them. And, you know, like <laughs> like I hope I'd be good at like channeling channeling whatever elements I would be I would be good at and I would probably be good at fighting which is so so you know but everything else I would I would make zero money for my ashaka cuz I can't entertain people Unless they're, you know, they're they're gonna be so they they want me to be a soldier or something, then yeah, I, I guess I could do that. Like I've taken martial arts, and I am I'm passably good at it, I guess. But everything else, like dancing, singing, like ask me to sing only if you you want me to kill somebody. For, like, <laughs> you kill sound somebody, like kill somebody you sound like Polaire, you know that, right? This, uh, this is exactly what Polaire was. <laughs> now that you think of, now, now that you mentioned it, actually, yeah, I, I that never actually crossed my mind. But yeah, I, I am probably Polaire. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll get along well with the Yadoshans. <laughs> I do drink. <laughs> like, I am. <laughs> 
I, I mean, yeah. Yeah, nothing that you said is wrong. <laughs> I've read the book many times. <laughs> Tell me about your Hua. Uh, this probably the simpler the better. Like, as I, 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 like I mentioned this before we started recording, but I bought this really, really nice fake doctor mask that I am so in love with. I would wear that, like if they asked me as an Asha to entertain guests, I would show up wearing that, and and, and you know. Like I won't care what people think, even if they complain about it. I really love that mask. <laughs> Good choice. I, I mean, I, for for who as um as simple maybe as possible. Like I would like a lot of magic stitched into them as well, but I don't want it as obvious. And. I guess if I'm gonna be a fighter, the the fighter kind of Asha, I would like something that won't encumber me. When you know nothing too tight, nothing too, nothing too restrictive, I guess. But I I don't know. Like I I I would I like I like pretty clothes. I'd wear them on occasion, but I. I'd really like to like the idea of being a fighting Asha. That's something I'd be more into than entertaining guests and looking pretty. <laughs> so you basically want to be a death seeker. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would actually prefer like the, their 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 coats and their cloaks and stuff like yeah. Actually, yeah. Okay, I'm not an Asha anymore. I'm a death seeker. You convinced me. Thank you. <laughs> okay, Paul. It's your turn. If you don't have, I have more questions. <laughs> no, something similar itself. What color do you think your heart glass would be if you were in that world? Hmm. Well, I feel like, despite you know, despite not being able to dance and sing, etc., I'd be more useful as a silver. I, I would assume that everybody, a lot, a lot of people would sort of gun for the silver, as long as it's not the silver bone witch style parts glass, so you don't get into, you, you know, you don't have the, the threat of death hanging over your head. And I think silver best suits me because I am a very hands-on person, and yeah, I think that that would be more. In keeping with my personality as well. Oh, I would totally be an Asha. I have everything planned in my head. So you know, I, I feel like I would, I would, I think I'd make a great bone witch. You know, like what do you think? I think I'd be the I mean, I mean, why not? If you think that, if you're, you know, you're not squeamish about bones and blood, and yeah. Yeah, and then you know my my hues would be you know uh, no no greens no yellows no oranges um, only like in the blue red spectrums you would have like blue pink red purple and you know you have all of those like you know zivars you know you know sapphires like they go from like big to small like that you know triangular shape yeah, everything's there I'm an Asha. Then <laughs> if you ever need someone to set up a website like Pottermore for your series, I think you should contact someone. 
<laughs> I don't know what to make it. Yeah, be there. She'll make it for you. <laughs> I mean, I have this entire thing in my head, you know, like of making quizzes. What kind of an Asha are you? What kind of runes can you draw? Who would you choose as your familiar? And you know, like oh. uh, a dating thing. Who would you end up dating in the series? There was a um when my when the book when the first book first came out there was a quiz like like my my publisher asked me to to create a quiz like with what kind of Asha are you I I think it's still it's still around here somewhere I just don't I don't remember where it is but I don't think they put, they ever like put it down so it should be in the internet somewhere. I'm not taking it. I know, I know. I think I'd make a good Asha because, like, I can dance, I can sing, and I can play a few instruments. And I don't know about entertaining. And I think I can like fight also if I want to. But like, I'll cry after that. But <laughs> I think it's back to Asha. Yes. Hmm. Okay. So I had a small food game I thought would be interesting uh, because. In Wicked as You Wish, you define a refrigerator as an ice cave with more food and less bears. So I was wondering how you would define other appliances, such as a microwave or an oven or a stove. <laughs> for um, well, first, how about we start with a toaster, like that? Okay. Bread burning, bread burning machine. Uh, I would say like a washing machine. That is like I mean the the ice cave thing that you mentioned. This is from my character West. Right? Uh, we can has a character named West who is very who has no concept of non magical technology because he is so used to spell tech that the normal technology is far beyond his his comprehension and he calls refrigerators like an ice cave or he has he has to have an, a refrigerator explained to him as an ice cave because otherwise he doesn't know what a refrigerator is so like you would explain a toaster to him as crunchy bread maker uh, a microwave would be a square dragon, I guess. Square mechanical <laughs> dragon. And a washing machine. He would be so overwhelmed by a wash by a washing machine. Like a he'd call it like water magic or something, like a water spinner. <laughs> or you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It could be a water spinner. I remember calling the Earth a giant washing machine once. They are very unpleasant memories. Um. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have a lot of food in your books, like, and I think you take food from like almost like every nice cuisine that's out there. Because I know there's biryani mentioned in the first book of the Bone Witch. I know that. Yeah. And then there's I love biryani. Then, yeah, you do. And, and wow. Althea makes cups pulao, which is yes, yeah, yeah. Food, yeah. <laughs> food everywhere in your books. I am. I mean, I really love to eat. Like that. That's the thing with me. You, you, 
don't give me flowers don't give me like little like little gifts that I might not be able to use like I appreciate the sentiment but I might not be able to use it if you don't know me very well the the real way to my heart is through my stomach like take me out to a good place to eat I'm happy with that like that's that's the only thing I want <laughs> I, I hope your husband is listening because he wanted <laughs> He is actually snoring away. Beside <laughs> me right now. Ah, uh, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. So I, I have this. Please. Oh God. <laughs> okay. Um, I'll have to give you some context. So there is this Indian film called Kumar, and uh, there are two friends who are stuck. Two brothers actually who are stuck in the middle of nowhere, and so they're looking for a car. And finally, a car stops, and the passenger, uh, the driver says, "Yeah, yeah, come on in." And they say, "Do you know how far, how long it will take for us to reach Goa?" He said, "Well, not really long. By the time I, I say my name, by that time we will be in Goa." And so they say, "Awesome. Okay. This is my name. This is my name. Tell us your name." And he says, "Ayer, Venugopal Ayer, Muttu Swami Venugopal Ayer." Chinnaswami Muttaswami Venugopal Ayer and he keeps going on that <laughs> of how West introduces himself in the book as a western flippered bourgeois retari banak young underbase bright eye eddings the sixth but you can call me western flippered bourgeois great That that was a play because um my character West ha- is probably the most the one with the most presti- prestigious lineage of all the characters there in that he is descended from a lot of uh, famous fairy tale characters and it's come to the point where he was born cursed because of all those curses that's been handed down from him through generations. And uh, so I figured that that kind of lineage would require a really ostentatious and really pretentious name, and I tried to make it as long as I could. So you know that Western Clifford with bright eyes. I tried to make the name as long as possible, and you know it, it's also a sort of fun because some Filipino names they they can be, they can get really long as well. So that was my sort of. Private in joke. I I know like like I think Indian names as well can get very long as you yeah. mentioned in, in your story. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. thought it would be fun to sort of highlight that to to sort of denote that he has a very long and prestigious lineage as well. Yeah, yeah. No, that is very, very well done. Still not a question, but good comparison. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I guess if you want a question, uh, well, I, I, I do have a question. Um, Rin, how important are pockets in skirts to you? Very important. All my skirts have pockets now. Like I've thrown away all my skirts without pockets. Everything else, like there is this. There is this online store that I really, really, really love. It's called Ishaki. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if you guys know it, but it's one of my favorite stores to shop at because they will give you pockets. Like if you ask for pockets in their clothes, they will give you pockets. Oh, and nice. not just like those, it's not like those little small pockets that you can't really fit anything into. It's really like deep pockets. You can fit every, you can fit a person sometimes in some of those pockets. I really love those. So yeah, I think pockets are very important when you're considering your 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 clothes. Yeah, can you fit the fireboard in your pockets? <laughs> yes, <laughs> Alex does do that at some point. Well, in his in his duffel bag, I believe. But yeah, <laughs> I I remember every time Ren speaks of um, skirts in in Vikas English, <laughs> always mentions in brackets with pockets. <laughs> I feel very strongly about it. That every, you know, every skirt should have pockets. Every dress should have pockets. Yeah. yeah. I respect you. Do you have any advice for any upcoming writers who may or may not be on this call? <laughs> um, I think that a lot of writers suffer from imposter syndrome. Like there's this belief where you feel like you're not good enough, and then you look at other writers around you and you think, well, they're good, I'm not, so maybe we may, you know, may as well give up. And I, I was at that that point many years ago, and I am here right now. So, you know, there is this you. You have to learn to accept that you you need like that the modesty to admit that you can improve because we are always like I am still improving my writing. I am my writing's never gonna gonna be perfect, but it's always gonna be better than the last one I did. And you need that balance of humility, knowing that you have so much more. To develop, you know, more time, more chances to develop your writing, and at the same time, you need that confidence to know that there are people out there who needs to read your work. There are people you you there are people out there who is perfectly suited for your writing, regardless of whether you believe that or not. Your belief does not matter. Does not doesn't matter. There's always fans in the world who will love your writing and that is what you should aim for <laughs> that is strangely uplifting you know that, that someone might want to read what I write because I mean nobody likes the duck <laughs> you you know what if, if you're really into duck I have this friend her, her name's Gail she also she writes middle grade and she has pet ducks and she writes about ducks in, in, in her books and people love her books so you know write as many duck stories as you would like duck there will the duck, the duck being no the duck in that D&D episode you should listen to it then it's hilarious <laughs> yeah it was brilliantly done because uh, we when we came on call we were actually planning to speak about Chinese traditional medicine 
but then I got another friend with me and we ended up playing D&D instead. And Sanji just created the entire game on the spot. And the first thing she thinks about is this annoying talking duck that keeps stopping physics. (laughs) And wants to marry Ashwini. So, the duck is technically her ex. Yes. I had to do the whole thing improv. I had no inkling of what was happening. I was sleep deprived, and then she suddenly like, "Oh, this is a D and D," and I'm like, "Duck." <laughs> now she now Rain has seen our crazy side also. <laughs> I mean, if if you can get you can you can you know get their attention with a duck in a D and D game, why? What what's stopping you from writing more about it? You should write more though. Like if you can come up with something so fascinating and so interesting on the spot, imagine what you can do when you actually put them down into words, right? You know, that's my advice. That's my advice to you. Write more duck stories if you want to write more duck stories. Come on, go for it. I'll read it. Thank you so much, Rin. I'm also feeling very motivated right now. <laughs> Marry my duck, Ashwini. No. Um, <laughs> thank you so much, Rin. I am so glad we had this episode. I really enjoyed it. And I'm really looking forward to the sequel of um, Wicked As You Wish. Yes. I will start reading Never Tilting World, although it will complete your books but then what choices do I have? Um, I, I have a few more books in the pipeline right now like you will probably re- hear at least two announcements this year hopefully Ooh. three I apparently when there's a pandemic and you're stuck at home and you have high functioning anxiety apparently you can write a lot of books at least that's what happened to me to ease my high functioning anxiety I just I just kept writing so hopefully you get more announcements from me this year one of them is actually an adult book that I am hopefully next year I think yeah I can't say much about anything right now but uh, I'm very proud of the things that are gonna come out the, the announcements that are coming out this year and I hope you guys enjoy those as much as you're you're already enjoying my book which I'm very grateful for so thank you thank you so much we are indeed very proud of you 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 have like lifetime fan probably yeah (laughs) half a book of reading you feel the father and you know maybe next year if if we can you know find a schedule in your busy time slot maybe we can do one more episode with all your new books please please like go ahead i enjoyed this so much (laughs) so thank you very much ren i enjoyed this a lot and we hope to see you again thank you for having me (laughs) and fun (laughs) 